Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Early on in Politics Book One, Aristotle provides a long discussion of what it means for human beings to be what he calls political or social animals. That is, animals whose very nature is to be connected with others of their own kind in ways that go beyond the herd, or in the case of other social and political animals, the beehive or the termite colony, things like that. We are political and social animals in a somewhat different way. And one of the sub-discussions of that focuses on a very important distinction between us and the other animals. It has to do with the nature of communication and the implications for the type and range of communication that we are capable of by opposition to other animals that do communicate with each other, but don't communicate quite the same things or in the same ways or to the same degree. So why are we social animals? Aristotle says that it has to do with our possession of logos. Logos is a term that means a lot of different things in Greek, and it means more than one thing even for Aristotle. But among the main meanings that Aristotle has in mind that are particularly important here in this discussion, one of them is speech. If you like, you can also translate it as language or discourse. It's got a very broad sense to it. It also means reason. That is the sense of rational faculty, our ability to make sense out of things. And these are intimately connected for Aristotle. We have reason in part because we have the capacity for communication, but we also have something to communicate about and we communicate in the distinctive ways that we do because we are reasoning beings. So what about other animals? He tells us that other animals, which we have most of our nature in common with, they do in fact possess what he calls voice. And he makes a distinction here between being able to make a sound phone, or we might think of communicating in other ways. You know, bees communicate through pheromones, through their dances. We could extend this very far, but they have a form of communication that is, at least in relation to us, not as extensive. In relation to their own natures, it's perfectly fine. It communicates what they need to know about, what they need to communicate about. Bees communicate about where to find the nectar or, you know, that we need alert. Hornets are invading. Let's, let's get out here and start stinging them or any sorts of other things that they might communicate. Horses communicate with each other. Uh, all sorts of animals have voice. Aristotle says that this permits them to grasp what for human beings are going to be what we can call a certain kind of moral quality. Moral, not necessarily in the sense of dealing with morality and ethics, but dealing with a much broader sense of good and bad values. What is it that animals can actually perceive? Pleasure and pain. Aristotle is crystal clear about this. When you do something that hurts an animal, it really does hurt them. 
It may not hurt them in exactly the same way as it does a human being. Think about insects or fish. You know, they may not feel pain to the extent that an animal with a more higher developed nervous system does, but it is pain. And they also feel pleasure. They enjoy things. Grasshoppers presumably enjoy eating grass or whatever else it is that they eat. Spiders presumably enjoy crawling around and seeing a thing that they can jump on and attack if they're a jumping spider. Or they, they're sitting in their web. They enjoy sitting in their web, feeling the vibration of the prey and eating it up. They probably enjoy mating as well, you can well imagine. So animals can perceive and they can also communicate to each other. This is very important. They're not just locked in their own private worlds. They can communicate to each other pain and pleasure or more generally the painful and the pleasurable. So when, for example, a bird cries a certain way and another bird comes by because it realizes that now there's something that they can both eat and enjoy, that would be an example of this. When animals are engaging with each other and showing affection, that might be understood in the same way. Human beings go far beyond this, according to Aristotle. So he says, the mere voice can indicate pain and pleasure. It's possessed by other animals as well. Their nature has been developed so far as to have sensation, perception of what is painful and pleasant and to signify these to each other. But speech, logos, is designed to indicate other things. What are those other things that speech indicates? Aristotle is not attempting to provide you here with a comprehensive list because he actually uses kai ta'ala in the Greek, which is the Greek equivalent of etc. in English. It means and all the others, right? He's just giving us a few prime examples here. And we need to also supply one very important one as we go on with this discussion. But what are these moral values? He says logos, speech, reason, however we want to translate it, is set up in such a way that it allows us to indicate to each other, to talk about, to name, to distinguish the useful Sumferon, and the harmful. Notice that these are opposites to each other, just as pain and pleasure were, right? All of these things that we're signifying are, in fact, opposed qualities. And we can talk about things in between as well. Something that's partly useful and partly harmful, or neither harmful nor useful. All of those are possibilities for us. We can communicate these to each other. The just, or the right, to dikaion, and the unjust, to adikon, the wrong. Another key one is the good, in a very general sense, to agathon, and the bad, to kakon. We could think of other synonyms for this as well. And then Aristotle says, quite famously in this passage, and all the others. So what would all those others include? Well, at the very least, they would include another one that... Aristotle and Plato both include in their list of moral qualities whenever they're talking about these sorts of things. And one of these is the kalon, which here I've translated as fair, but also could be translated as noble, also could be translated as beautiful, also could be translated as intrinsically attractive. And then the foul, the aishron, which can also be translated as the ugly, can also be translated as the shameful or the base. There's a number of different ways in which we can talk about that.
The Greeks had one single term that they preferred to use, or set of terms, and we have a much larger vocabulary in that way. All of these things, all of these binary oppositions, and the spectrums within, and the distinctions that are possible, are things that we can signify to each other through language. They're also things that we can think about by using logos as well. Aristotle goes even further. Here, he doesn't just talk about us conceiving of these and then talking about them. He says that we perceive them. We have eisthesis, which is the same term that is used for perceiving through the senses other things like tasting the bitterness of the coffee or hearing the beautiful music. Beautiful being kalon, right? So we have on a very basic level, because we are rational or communicative animals, a capacity for a much greater range of differentiation of moral qualities, of values, than do the other animals. We also do perceive the painful and the pleasurable. When we put all of these together, we have a lot that we can talk about. Aristotle goes a little bit further. He says in this passage that it is agreement or community in these values that constitutes human community. So it's not just, for example, agreeing that there is a just and an unjust. It's agreeing what the just and the unjust are that helps to bind us together, that expresses this essence of ourselves as social animals. Here in this passage, he talks about the agreement or the community, the koinonia in these matters. But another implication that we ought to consider that is not discussed right here but is quite important and plays a role in Aristotle's rhetoric is that these very moral values are not only the things that we can find ourselves in agreement about and be connected with each other through, they are also the things that we can disagree about, that we can argue about, that we can find ourselves in conflict about, that we may wish to, and this is where the rhetoric comes in, make a case about trying to convince somebody that something really is useful, like a policy, or that somebody really is unjust, as in a criminal case, or that something really is noble, as in what we call epideictic rhetoric. So all of these things are involved in human beings being social animals. There may be some exceptions, people who cannot readily perceive the right and the wrong or the fair and the foul. It may take a lot of work to get our conceptions of these on the right track so we're not just naively reacting. But that comes from a basis of being able to perceive and communicate with others about these fundamental moral qualities. That Aristotle takes to be a central aspect of human nature that builds upon our animality and takes it through logos much further. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.